The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Let's listen in. Our reading comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, beginning with the 10th verse. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible. For the day will disclose it because it is revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If what has been built on the foundation survives, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Just outside of this sanctuary, in a space that we once called the Ladies' Chapel, you can find the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church Columbarium. After funeral services here in the sanctuary, we carry a brass cylinder holding the deceased ashes out that door, down the hallway to a quiet and beautiful place. There, we pray. We give thanks to God for the life of a beloved friend and family member. We ask God's blessing and comfort for those who mourn. And then one of the clergy lifts the cylinder and places it carefully in its circular niche. As we tuck this person's earthly remains into place, we read together a passage from the book of Revelation. Blessed are the dead, especially those who die in the Lord. They rest from their labors and all their deeds follow them. All their deeds follow them. Now this, I think, is a potentially daunting send-off. Do we really want all of our deeds to follow us? Aren't there a few things in the past we would rather not have cling to our heels? Now, this question and the fact that today is Halloween brings to mind 
a famous scene from Charles Dickens' spooky masterpiece, A Christmas Carol. You remember it. Early in the story, Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by his former partner in business, Jacob Marley. Marley is a ghost, a shade, who howls and rattles a long spectral chain. Seeing the chain, Scrooge inquires, you are fettered, tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replies the ghost. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will and of my own free will I wore it. Is its pattern strange to you? Scrooge trembled more and more. Or would you know, pursued the ghost, the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was full, as heavy and as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Scrooge glanced about him on the floor in expectation of finding himself surrounded by 50 or 60 fathoms of iron cable, but he could see nothing. All their deeds followed them. Do our sins clank along behind us like some ghostly chain, heavy fetters, reminding us of the missteps, the wrongs, the wounds inflicted by us in our journey through life? Do we, do we tremble like Scrooge, picturing fathoms of cable wrapped around our soul, or have we gotten beyond all that Puritan hand-wringing? In the passage from 1 Corinthians that we read this morning, the Apostle Paul describes the life of a Christian as being based on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We, we stand on the rock. That's the kind of comment you expect from an apostle, but he doesn't stop there. The work of each individual and community is to build a good life on that foundation. And then Paul gets personal. What will you use to construct your house? Will you build out of gold or wood or straw? Will you use durable materials or flimsy ones? How will you construct your life? These questions are important, Paul continues, because there will come a time when fire will test your construction. There will come a day when, when flames will, will lick at the walls of your home. And if what has been built on that foundation survives, the apostle writes, the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Saved, says Paul, but only as through fire. 
It's a strange phrase, right? How can someone be saved through fire? The medieval Roman Catholic Church taught that between the extremes of hell, a place where unrepentant sinners were punished, and heaven, a place where one can dwell in joy with God and all the saints, there exists a middle realm, purgatory. Various catechisms of the church describe purgatory as a place where a final cleansing of human imperfection occurs before one is able to enter the joy of heaven. In other words, if you were a, a fairly good person in this life, a, a friend of God, but still needed some of your rough edges smoothed over before entering eternal bliss, then you were destined for purgatory. The Italian poet Dante Alighieri imagined purgatory to be a mountain that sinners would ascend. Check out the fresco on today's bulletin cover. It comes from the Duomo in Florence, Italy. In this painting, you can see hell on the left, the city of Florence on the right, and in the center, a tiered mountain. Scantily clad people are climbing this mountain it is purgatory. On each level of the mountain, the faithful are being purified of a specific sin. Pride on level one, lust on level seven, gluttony on level four. Once purified of that particular sin, they can level up and commence the next stage of their journey toward heaven. It's a fantastic scene. Where does Dante draw inspiration for this evocative picture of the afterlife? The answer is today's text. Many Catholic theologians argue that Paul hints at the fires of purgatory here in his letter to the Corinthians. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, the builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Now today, in addition to being Halloween, is also Reformation Sunday. And as Presbyterians, we should note that Protestants have historically taken a dim view of Dante's combined mountain climb and soul scrub. John Calvin and Martin Luther condemned the very idea of purgatory. The reformers worried that the church had spun something into existence that went, went far beyond scripture. And even more troubling, they watched the church use this picture of the afterlife for financial gain as a way to raise funds from poor peasants worried about dead family members. Here's how it worked. 
believers across Europe were told that if you wanted to speed the progress of your loved ones up the mountain, if you wanted to help them escape the purifying flames of purgatory, then you'd better pay for an indulgence, a special pardon for the dead. In other words, the church can expedite Uncle Ernie's path toward heaven if you would be so kind as to pay a small fee. All of this was captured in a catchy slogan developed by that medieval televangelist, Johann Tetzel. Tetzel traveled around Europe declaring, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Other criticisms of purgatory went beyond such financial shenanigans. The best example of this was John Wesley. Wesley argued that God will not wait until the afterlife to start making us holy. God begins now. God tests the integrity of our buildings with holy fire in the untidiness of the present. Now, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Wesley's argument has me picturing God to be sort of like an inspector for the New York Department of Buildings. As we labor to construct a self, the Holy One shows up unexpectedly to test our efforts, checking us for code violations. God doesn't wait until people are dead to start making saints out of sinners. That's what Dickens had in mind, isn't it? Marley and all those ghosts came to Scrooge, not in some gauzy future, not in the afterlife, but in the here and now. They worked to to transform the meanest, cheapest curmudgeon on the face of the planet while he was still alive. And, and in this, Dickens shows some solid theological chops. But while it's good theology to imagine the flames of purgatory surrounding us in the here and now, it isn't especially good marketing. Why is that? Well, the spiritual algebra we all do, and you know this, is quite simple. Fire hurts. I'm sorry, but, but having impurities burned away sounds about as appealing as a root canal. And, and Dickens knew this. Scrooge's transformation in A Christmas Carol is agonizing. He fights it. He approaches the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future with skepticism, anger, fear. And who can blame him? Nobody. Nobody really yearns to have their sins exposed. Nobody wants to have the chain that they forged link by link and yard by yard hauled out into the daylight. So when Paul describes God as a spirit who will inspect the lives, the beliefs, and the false truths we have cobbled together, testing them with fire, our first instinct is to run. 
in recent years, we've all watched as American discourse has been consumed by an epidemic of fear-mongering, race-baiting, and rage-inducing speech. Every slice of the political spectrum has participated. No one has been above it all. How can we extricate ourselves from this vicious cycle, from rhetoric that consistently produces more heat than light? Curiously, I think purgatory can help, and here's how. We all know it's difficult to listen to another person offer a critical appraisal of our work or our ethics. Of late, though, we've gone a step further. We've taught ourselves, right, left, and center, that when someone says something that makes you feel uneasy, you should trust your feelings. If your internal compass says, ouch, then whoever caused that ouch ought to be avoided or resisted or dismissed. Now, to be clear, there are times when resistance is the right approach. Nobody ought to sit there and take unfair or malicious verbal abuse. We all need to bring truth, graciousness, and respect to hard conversations. Still, imperfect beings that we are, ouches are inevitable. And if every ouch that we experience leads us to, to walk away or to write the other off, we're in trouble. We cannot become so fragile that we reject every chance God gives us to grow. And, and that takes us back to purgatory. Purgatory, for all of its wild medieval imagery, points to a basic psychological truth. Personal growth hurts. Do you remember a moment, maybe it was your freshman year in college, or, or maybe it was at the beginning of a new relationship, when a professor or when your roommate or your beloved was less than totally impressed with you, detected a flaw in you, something that you didn't want to acknowledge, something that you were embarrassed to have exposed. In Flannery O'Connor's short story, The Enduring Chill, Asbury, a young artist who lives in New York City, returns to his family's home in the South. Asbury is sick, and he believes that he will soon die. Asbury's mother settles him into his childhood room. She calls the family doctor, and she cares round the clock for her boy. And Asbury resents it all. He sees his sickness and impending death as a revelatory moment. It's a chance for his mother to come to grips with her provincialism, her racism, her lack of education. The irony here, though, is that Asbury is not actually going to die. The irony here is that this very self-involved young man is at least as flawed 
as his mother. As the story unfolds, as Asbury lingers in his sick state, sick in body, sick in soul, he hungers for an intellectual conversation partner like those he found in this city, and, and recalling a chat that he once had with a hip and witty Jesuit at a cocktail party in New York City, Asbury asks his mother to fetch a priest. Now this confuses her because the family's not Catholic, but still worried that her son is dying, she complies. When the priest arrives, he's nothing like Asbury's cocktail party vision. An older Irish clergyman walks into the room, heavy of face, with one bad eye and nearly deaf in both ears. Father Finn from the nearby town of Purgatory announces himself. He pulls his chair close to the bed. He asks Asbury to shout so that he might hear. And what follows is a painfully loud and, and often funny conversation between two people from very different worlds. Uh, eventually, the priest asks the sick young man, do you pray? God forbid. If you don't pray daily, the priest responds, you are neglecting your immortal soul. Do you know your catechism? Certainly not, Asbury muttered. Who made you? The priest asked in a martial tone. Well, different people believe different things about that, Asbury said. God made you, the priest said shortly. Who is God? Asbury saw that he'd made a mistake and that it was time to get rid of the old fool. Listen, he said, I I'm actually not a Roman. A poor excuse for not saying your prayers, the old man snorted. Asbury slumped slightly in bed. I'm dying, he shouted. But you're not dead yet, said the priest. And how do you expect to meet God face to face when you've never spoken to him? How can the Holy Ghost fill your soul when it's full of trash? The priest roared. The Holy Ghost will not come until you see yourself as you are, a lazy, ignorant, conceited youth. Father Finn's words sting, but they're true. And their truth slowly, steadily, like a fire burning stubble from a field, expose fertile soil in Asbury. Somebody recently said to me, I'm not sure I want to get involved in the church's conversations about race. Why not, I asked. Well, I'm afraid. Points for honesty. I don't want to get burned. I don't want to be called a racist. I don't believe anyone would do that, I responded, but if it happened, I, I think we could deal with that too. If I were quicker on my feet, I would have channeled 1 Corinthians. We're all going to get burned. The life we're living, after all, is purgatory. 
And the good thing about having hard conversations here in church is that we trust the one who holds the torch. We know that the ultimate goal of God's fire is not destruction, but salvation. If the work is burned up, the apostle writes, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only through fire. What if what if the only way to be freed from Marley's chain is to face the scorching righteousness of God? What if God tests the integrity of our souls not to destroy us, but out of love, out of hope for who we might be? What if grace is a purifying fire. The grace of Christ attend you. The love of God surround you. The comfort of the Holy Spirit keep you, that you may live in faith, abound in hope, and grow in love, both now and forevermore. Amen.